Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be back at Bethel. It's been a while. Things have changed. Things have really changed around here. But you know what hasn't changed? That glory that we were singing about just a little bit ago. You know what separates this church from most churches in the city of Arnold? is the glory of God that comes into this place. And it's strong, it's powerful. Why don't we lift our hands and why don't we thank him for his glory that we feel in this place. Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your power, and for your glory that is in this place where you are, where your spirit is. Anything can happen and anything is possible here today. We love you and we praise you. It's so good to see everyone here. I think probably there's more people that I don't know than I do know, which that is a good thing. That's a great thing. And uh, Pastor Greg and Sister Kemp, it's good to be with you all today. I was preaching in Olathe, Kansas last Sunday and uh, for the Blackburns, and this is where Sister Kim uh, helped out with music, and they wanted me to send her back. I told them that probably wasn't going to happen, but they missed her and they loved Uh, the ministry that she did, and boy, it's just good to be here with you all today. Good to be with you all today. I'm going to preach from John chapter 4, if you have your Bible. John chapter 4, and we will start with the first verse. Many times, the Lord begins to deal with me on a personal level, and then begins to speak to me a word to speak to other people, and I believe that he's laid this word on my heart for this church, but he's been dealing with me uh, well before and and well beyond uh, today uh, for a personal note. And so John chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 1. It says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea, departed into Galilee, Verse 4, I want you to latch on to this. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Jesus saith to the woman of Samaria, or she, the woman of Samaria says to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that was saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He would have given thee living water. And I believe that God's going to speak to our hearts today. One more time, would you just lift your hands and would you ask God to speak to you and in this place? Lord, I thank you for your word. And we know that your word is already anointed. I pray, God, now that you would anoint my mind and my thoughts to speak your word. I pray that every heart would be open here today to be receptive, to receive your word. Let us not be hearers only of your word, but let us be doers of your word, I pray. We thank you for what you're going to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
during World War II, thousands of Americans and Japanese law soldiers were killed. There was a young man by the name of Desmond Doss who wouldn't touch a weapon or work on the Sabbath. He enlisted in the army as a combat medic, but he believed because he believed in the cause, but he had vowed not to kill. The army wanted nothing to do with this man. The army made Doss's life miserable during training. Terry Benedict, who uh, did a documentary about Doss's life, said it started out as harassment and then it became very abusive. He interviewed several World War II veterans who were in Doss's battalion. They considered him a pest. They questioned his sincerity, and they threw shoes at him while he was praying. Uh, they, it says that they, they just saw him as a slacker, someone who uh, shouldn't have been allowed in the army and someone who was their weakest link in the chain. Doss's commanding uh, officer, Captain Jack Glover, tried to get him transferred, but as hard as he tried, the army could not force Doss to use a weapon because a 1940 law allowed conscientious objectors to serve in the war effort in non-combatant uh, positions. So Doss went with his company as a medic to the Pacific. At Okinawa in the spring of 1945, Doss's company faced a grueling task. Climb a steep, jagged cliff, sometimes called Hacksaw Ridge, if that picture will work. There's the ridge. Climb Hacksaw Ridge to a plateau where there were thousands of heavily armed Japanese soldiers that were waiting for them. The terrain was treacherous. It was full of caves and holes, and the Japanese were dug in underground. Under a barrage of gunfire, and explosions. Doss crawled on the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He dragged severely injured men to the edge of the ridge. He tied a rope around their waist and he would begin to lower them from the top of that ridge to the bottom to the medics below. Doss said, I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying. Lord, please help me get one more. Please help me get one more. Desmond Doss would crawl on his hands and knees. He would run and hide and search for search bodies to find someone alive. And once he located someone that had been ravaged by war, maybe they were wounded or maimed or hurting or injured, he would drag them to the edge of that ridge and he would tie that rope around them and he would lower them to safety. But after he got one, he had to go back and he had to get one more. He would go where no man wanted to go, back to the war zone with bullets flying and mortars uh, uh, blowing up all around him. He was so close to the enemy, he said, that as he was searching for these bodies, he could hear the, the whispering of the enemy talking around him. But that did not stop him. He was focused on one goal. I have to get one more. Veteran Carl Bentley, who also uh, was at Hacksaw Ridge, says it's as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give. Doss saved, are you ready for it? Doss saved 75 men. 
including his captain, Jack Glover, over a 12-hour period. President Truman awarded Doss the Medal of Honor in 1945. Doss seemed to have this same mindset that Jesus had. He had, he had the same mindset that, that Jesus had. It was, yes, there was a whole world that needed rescued and saved, but time after time and story after story when you read your Bible, Jesus was determined to reach people even if it was only one person at a time. So this morning I've come to preach to you this topic, just one. Just one. Just one. I know that Jesus preached to groups of people. I understand that he taught the 5,000 and when the opportunity presented itself, he would absolutely spend time to preach to the multitudes around him. He would speak to the masses, but he did not let the need to reach the whole lost world overwhelm him and stop him from reaching just one person at a time. Amen? Yes, there was this, can you imagine how we feel right now about the lost world that you and I need to reach? Could you imagine Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking this earth, having this, uh, uh, this something inside of him that says, I've got to reach somebody. I've got to reach this whole world. I've got to reach people. And though, yes, he would teach the multitudes and the masses, Jesus was still concerned if he just had to get to one person, if he could just minister to one person, if he could just heal one person, he was going to take his time to do that. Why? Because just one person mattered to Jesus. Just one person mattered to Jesus. Jesus exampled this principle, just one person was important. Just one person was valuable. Just one person was worth all the effort. If it one meant one person, they deserved to be healed. If it meant one person, they were valuable enough to be ministered to. Just one person, and Jesus would drop whatever he was doing to minister to them. I think I've got enough Bible for this. If you look at the healings and the ministry of Jesus Christ, he spent more time dealing with one person than he spent with the multitude and the masses of people all around him. That didn't mean that the masses and the multitude weren't important. They were important. But Jesus was modeling this example to us that we've got to reach at least just one person. And when we reach one person, and when we minister to one person, there will be another one, and there will be another one, and there will be another one. Hallelujah. I feel a word in the Holy Ghost this morning that for Bethel Pentecostal Church, that God is reaching for you to reach just one person. Oh, I know that there is a whole city that needs to be reached. I know that there's a whole state and the whole world has to be reached. But why don't we zone in and focus in on one person? Because Jesus would do that. I said Jesus would do that. The priority of Jesus as he walked this earth was others. Jesus was willing to reach others, even if it meant just one at a time. Before we get to Matthew 8, Jesus in the following chapters has just preached his famous sermon on the mount to a multitude of people. Matthew chapter 8 and 1, and when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold... 
there came a leper, just one, a leper, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make us clean, make me clean. Leprosy was a disease appearing in dry, thin scales or scabs, either on the whole body or part of the body. It usually was attended with, with violent itching and often with great pain. It was highly contagious and it was considered incurable. People, it was highly contagious and considered incurable. And people often associated this leprosy with sin. And in the Bible days, if you were sick or you had a disease, they just thought, well, he's a sinner. Because if he was a normal person, if he didn't have sin in his life, God wouldn't allow this to happen. That's so untrue. But in the Bible days, if, if they saw somebody that had a disease in their body, they just automatically thought that they were a sinner. So a leper wasn't allowed to come within six feet of any other human, including his own family. The disease was considered so revolting that the leper was not uh, permitted to come within 150 feet of somebody if the wind was blowing any which way. Jesus, I want you to get this picture, Jesus probably exhausted from his preaching and teaching because he just came down from the mountain. He was preaching and teaching to the multitudes at that time. So I know that he was probably uh, exhausted from his preaching. He could have uh, easily had his 12 bodyguards go and, and keep the people away and, and definitely he could keep this one leper away. But Jesus, hear me somebody, Jesus had this mission to reach and to heal and to minister and to love people, the ones whose society is crossed off, even the ones deemed incurable or too far gone or rotten sinners. That is the one that Jesus went after. Matthew 8 and 3, Jesus put forth his hand the Bible says that he touched him. They were supposed to be six feet away, and if the wind was blowing, they had to be 150 feet away. And, and can you imagine as this leper is, is coming over to Jesus, I could see the bodyguards saying, no, Jesus. No, 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 no. He's got leprosy. You have to holler out, uh, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine this, this leper hollering out, unclean, unclean, as Jesus and his 12, I'll call them bodyguards, are with him? I'm just uh, playing this out in my mind. You know how the disciples were. They were very guarded of Jesus. And Jesus, we can't go near him. He has leprosy. It's contagious. We might all die. We might all get it. Bible says that Jesus, stand up with me, Pastor Greg. Jesus went over to him. And I don't know how you play this out in your mind. The Bible says that he put forth his hand. Now, we think that he probably laid his hand. I don't think he did that. It says he put out his hand and he touched him. This one that nobody else could touch. This man that nobody else could go near, not even within six feet of them. But Jesus was willing to go where nobody else was going. I can just see Jesus coming over and taking this leper in his arms and saying, I will. Yes, right. 
I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Jesus was willing to go where nobody else would go and he was willing to minister to people that nobody else was willing to minister to and he has left you and I, the church of the living God, an example that we've got to reach people that nobody else will reach. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you just talk to God? God, help us. Help us get a mindset to reach people that nobody else wants to reach. God, give us a love and a compassion for everybody around us. You may feel like an outcast. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. It doesn't matter who's crossed you off. You may feel unclean, unworthy, and undeserving. But the truth from the Word of God today is... The truth of the word of God is that Jesus loves you and that he cares for you and there is nothing that you have done that will keep you from the presence of the almighty God. You see, if you will cry out to him like this leper did, he will come to you and he will heal you and he will forgive you and he will restore you. I wonder, would you clap your hands if you've been that person, if you've been that person that was unlovable, that was a sinner, that had done wrong. Oh, God, why don't we just thank him for a minute that he see, if there was just one person in this room today, you are the only one that feels like that, like you are unclean and unworthy and undeserving, God still would have met you here today because he loves you and because he is willing to show love and compassion to just one person, just one person person. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, then drew unto him the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, what man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose ninety-nine sheep, not what it says. It says, how many of you, if he has 100 sheep, if he loses one sheep, doth he not leave the other 90 and 9 and go after that which is lost until he find it? He didn't say for an hour or two hours and, and then he gives up. He said, even though there's a hundred of them, you would go after that one sheep until you found it. Just one. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And when he comes home, he called together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me for I have found my one sheep that was lost. 
I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than the ninety and nine just purchase with which need no repentance. To put that in perspective, Jesus is willing to reach one person in Arnold, Missouri. And when one person repents of their sins, all of the angels in heaven begin to rejoice, begin to rejoice because of one person that repents. Oh, I know that God loves us. I know that we might be church folk. I know that we came in on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to to do our worship, and he loves that, and we've got to do that. And to hear the word of God, and we've got to have that. But how much more does God want for one person to repent of their sins and be baptized in his name and be filled with this spirit? That is what he desires. And you know what? It's up to you and I to make sure that that person can walk through those double doors and into this congregation, into this room, so that they might experience the love of Jesus Christ. If we're just going to have church with just a bunch of church people, I mean, we could do it. We could do it. But the mission of Jesus wasn't the 90 and 9. The mission of Jesus was to the one. And if you and I are conduits of the Holy Ghost, if you and I become conduits of Jesus, then we will go and find that one, that one, and we will bring them into the glory as we sang about, and they will experience the love and the healing and restoration like they've never received before. Would you lift your hands and would you say, God, let me be a conduit that you can work through. Let me be a conduit that you can move through. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In our text in John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee. In Jesus' day, there were three regions stacked on top of one another. There was Galilee in the north, there was Samaria in the middle, and there was Judea in the south. The easiest and the quickest way was to go right up through the middle to uh, through Samaria to get to Galilee uh, from Judea. It was north. There was another route that some could have taken. Some religious Jews go east across the Jordan River and they enter into the region of Perea and then go north and recross the Jordan River and they would be in Galilee. It's a long way around. Instead of going straight through Samaria, some go like this and they curve back up through there. This was way out of the way, but it meant that they would not have to go through the Samaritan territory. You see, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans for their mixed race and their religious heretics. The Jews refused to accept the Samaritans as their kinsmen. And both sides developed this uh, relentless, murderous hatred for one another. Sort of like the the present-day Israelis and Palestinians. Now that brings us back to verse 3, which says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Technically, it was not a necessity. And culturally, it may have not even been customary to do so. 
although passing through Samaria is the most direct route between Galilee and Judea, but because of the animosity which exists between the two peoples, the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews usually chose to take the longer route around rather than passing through the city of Samaria. The answer why Jesus needed to go through Samaria is simple, yet it's very profound. Jesus went because he intended to meet one woman. He knew she would be there. He knew she would be coming to the well at precisely the moment he was sitting there weary from his journey, and I'll prove that to you in just a minute. But Jesus was on a mission, and he was giving us a pattern to follow to reach others, even if it meant just one person at a time. This woman was despised because of her race, and she was also a person who, who was shunned by her community because of her lifestyle. But, but Jesus intentionally purposed to meet with her. He needed to go through Samaria because he needed to minister to this one Woman, Jesus is sitting at the well when she arrives. He asks her for a drink, and this woman is in shock. She, she cannot believe that this Jew is even speaking to her, let alone asking her for something. In verse 9, saith he to the woman of Samaria, or the woman of Samaria says to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We don't talk to each other. We don't deal with each other. Why in the world are you asking me for something? Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was talking to you, you would have said, Give me to drink, and I would have given you living water. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of the water shall never thirst again, but who... Shall whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Either come here again to draw. Jesus says, this is, this is what I like. Jesus says, go and call your husband and come back. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. You don't think Jesus knew who was going to be at that well? He knew everything about her life. He read her mail, as we would say it. You can't, I've, I've heard the argument, well, Jesus just showed up there and, and there was a coincidence that that lady came and, and this happened. I don't believe in coincidences with Jesus Christ. He knew exactly that when that woman would be there. He knew exactly when to meet her. He knew exactly what was going on in her life. And he intentionally purposed to be there to meet with her. He intentionally purposes sometimes to meet with you and I. He intentionally purposes to meet with us. The woman says, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. The one woman left her water pot, went her way into the city 
and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Watch this. Here's this mission again that Jesus cannot get away from. He says, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I have a work to do that you don't even know about. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, Hath somebody brought him food, something to eat? Here we go. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my work, my plan is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He's talking about this mission to reach others, this mission to reach the lost, even if it means one person at a time. And though Jesus in his human flesh was probably hungry and probably needed something to eat, there was something else on his mind to reach somebody else. Oh, can I preach to you for just a minute? I know that you and I have things going on. We're busy. If you looked at my calendar, you probably wouldn't believe all the things that I got going on this week. Jesus was busy. He had other things going. But you know what? He had this mission that I've got to drop some things here. I've got to take some things off my plate because reaching just one person is more important than anything. Watch this. He still continues uh, uh, the mission in the next verse that re- leads right into it. He says, say not ye, there are yet four. Notice, he just, he just met with a woman, ministered to this woman, and gave her the revelation of who he is. She said, I know Messiah's come. And he, then he says, I that speak unto thee am he. She told this Samaritan that, that has, they have no dealings with each other, the revelation of who he is. And then he tells his disciples that, that I've got other work to do. I've got to reach this world. And then he leads into this verse, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Talking about Samaria here. He said, behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look upon the field, for they are white already to harvest. I wish somebody would grab a hold of this in the spirit. Look at Samaria. He's telling the disciples, look at Samaria. You think, he used the analogy, that later down the road that that the harvest is going to be ready. In four months then comes harvest. Look at Samaria. Down the road it's going to happen. He said, I'm not telling you that it's four months. I'm saying look on the field now. It is white already to harvest. The city of Samaria is ready to harvest. Not in the future, but right now. Oh, he's come today to speak in the Bethel Pentecostal Church. You might think it's going to be tomorrow or the next day or four months or a year from now. I've come to break that and shatter that in the name of Jesus. Look on the city of Arnold right now. Not four months, not four years, but look right now. The field is white and it is ready to harvest. The field is white and it is ready to harvest. Arnold, this community and this city is ready to see the greatest revival that they have ever seen. 
They are ready to experience repentance. They are ready to experience baptism in Jesus' name. They are ready. They are ready to walk in those doors and come to this altar and lift their hands and receive the power of the Holy Ghost that will change their life forever. We've got to get this mentality out of our mind. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It is happening right now. Look on the field. It's ready to harvest. Pastor Greg said that I bought Brother Trammell's house. That was a weird coincidence and a weird thing that happened. But anyways, I can't go into all that. I don't have time. But I moved into this city of Arnold, this city that I love. And Walmart is not even a half mile away from me. And so just a few months ago, now my wife doesn't go into Walmart. She goes to Target. But I love Walmart. They got everything, and it's way cheaper. So I was in Walmart just a few months ago in this city. And I wasn't being spiritual. I wasn't talking in tongues going down the aisles. Now if you do that, fine. I really wasn't. And I come around that corner. And as I come around the corner, they have like 5 million registers. Have you noticed that? Like from one end of the store to the other end of the store, it's just registers. And as I come around that corner, what did you say, in one worker? Yeah, you got one open. As I come around that corner, I looked all the way down that, that line, basically all the way to the bakery side, which is where I was headed next. Looking down there, I can't hardly explain to you what happened to me as I saw, I don't know how many, hundreds, I'm going to say hundreds of people. It was busy that day. Walmart's always busy. But it, I felt like it was especially busy that day. And as I looked down that whole line where the cash registers were to the left, I saw hundreds of just standing there. I wasn't being spiritual. I wasn't talking in tongues during that time. But something gripped my heart that day, gripped me. And I said, God, how, how can I reach all of these people? And then I, then I start to think, and Pastor Greg, there's, I can't reach all of these people. I, I had to pull into this aisle. I, as I looked down, I, I, I made a ride into one of these aisles, and I just began to weep, and I began to sob, and I began to cry, and I began to call out to God. At that point, I didn't care who was watching me or what was going on around me, uh, but I said, God, how am I going to reach all of these people? Uh, and I felt the Holy Ghost begin to work in me uh, and say, you've got to do it one at a time. You've got to do it one at a time. You can't reach everybody in Walmart, and you can't reach everybody in Arnold. Uh, and, and if we don't, if we're not careful, hear me somebody. If we're not careful, we will look at this gigantic calling that we have to reach the world and it will stop us from doing anything because we're so focused on the job that is so big. But if we will start focusing on just one person, on just one person, on just one person, we will reach this city for Christ. I'm 
not going to get through all of this today. Uh, I, I was driving. Uh, we Before we moved into the Trammell's house, we live off a of telegraph, and so we would take this uh, old... What is that street over there? It was Telegraph. We take Telegraph up to 6167 so I could go to work or drop the kids off. And as I was driving by, uh, driving that way, there's an archery range over there once you cross the river. I'm a big deer hunter. Many of you know that. I love to shoot bow and arrow. And as, as I'm driving by that archery range, I've never shot there because I had my own house to shoot at. But as I'm driving by there, there was a, a red truck that's there every single morning. When I drive by, this guy is out there, he's shooting his bow. Finally, one day I, I drove by and something overtook me in my truck as I'm driving by. And, and I said, I'm going to win that guy to the Lord. I drive by here every single day. I'm going to win him to the Lord. And so, I don't know, it was a couple days later. I told my wife, I said, would you, would, you take the kids, would you take the kids to school? I'm going to leave a little bit after you, and I'm, I'm going to stop in there, and I'm going to talk to this man. And I got up there, and most of you know me. I'm in sales. I, I talk to people for a living every day of my life. No big deal. I'm driving by, and I look over, and sure enough, that red truck's there. And you know what was going through my mind? Man, I'm busy today. I got a lot on my schedule. I got to send those emails. I got a meeting after lunch. I mean, I came up with every single excuse why I could not stop in there and talk to this man. And I got right there to the entrance. And I don't know if it was an angel in the truck or what, but somehow I swerved into that parking lot. I parked next to that truck. Then I got nervous. I talk to people for a living. What in the world am I going to say to this guy? How am I going to talk to him about Jesus? Got out of my truck. I walked over to this man. I could smell uh, the smell of alcohol in his breath. You know, and we're talking eight o'clock in the morning. And his name's Mark, by the way. I began to talk to Mark. Mark grew up Baptist. Mark, I decided that day that I wasn't going to open my Bible up and give him a Bible study right then and there. But you know what I decided to do? I'm going to become his friend. He's going to become my disciple. I'm going to become his friend. And so day after day, I would pull into the archery, not every day, but day after day, I would pull into the archery range and begin to build this relationship with Mark. Why? Because Jesus said that just one person, that one person is so important. One person. I love coming and preaching at churches and when there's, there's hundreds, there's 50, 200, whatever the amount. I love doing that. But there is something that is so powerful about just talking to one person. Watch this in John. I'm coming to a close here in just a minute. John chapter 4 and 39. Many Samaritans from that town, the Bible says, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You see, Jesus reached and ministered to 
this one social outcast, this one sinner, a person that culturally he should not have even talked to. But as Jesus ministers to her, and she in turns, she in turns reaches and ministers to the city that she is a part of. The town first heard the message of the Messiah because of this one woman, because of him reaching one person. So the Bible tells us that this invitation was extended to Jesus to stay a few more days and and. and John 4 and 41, and many more believed, the Bible says, because of his word. They said to this woman, I don't know why they told her this, but they said, it's no longer because, uh, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. You see, in the beginning, it was that reason that opened the door for Jesus to ministers because of her word. She said, now we have had an experience. They said, now we've had an experience of our own. We've heard him for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Now we've had our own experience, and it's all because Jesus, Jesus needed to reach one person at the well, and that one person in turn influenced the entire city. I've come to tell somebody here that you have no idea the influence that just one person might have. You have no idea the influence on their community, on their family, the influence on their job, and their influence in this city. Jesus made it a priority and gave us an example to reach others that nobody else would reach, even if it meant one at a time. Would you stand with me? Even if it meant one at a time. Now, we don't know. We may reach one person. We may reach one person, and they may not reach anybody else. That's fine. But we may reach one person. And their entire family come to God. We may reach one person and their entire community come to God. We may reach one person and five people from their employ, from their employment, from their job may come to God just by reaching one person. Many of you know the story of my dad. I can't go into all the details of it today, but, but there were a couple of, of guys in the military that reached my dad. He smoked three packs of cigarettes a day, did drugs, was an alcoholic when he was just an early or a late teenager, went into the military, and these preacher boys decided to take my dad under their wing. And, and long story short, he, he was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. He was baptized. He repented in Jesus' name. God changed his life. Listen to me, it took 19 years, 19 years for my dad to reach his family. But when he did, his dad in his 70s was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. His mom was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. His sisters and their husbands were baptized. Their kids were baptized. His brother was baptized. There was a revival that happened in the McGuire family because some young men decided that one person was important enough to reach. So I've come to preach to Bethel Pentecostal Church today. I know that our mission is large and it's big. The whole gospel to the whole world. Preach this gospel to every creature. But it starts with one. It starts with one. And so I've come to turn your attention 
to the field. Look upon the field, for it is white already to harvest. It's ready. I want, I, want to, I want you to lift your hands right now and you begin to just seek after God. Would you begin to talk to him right now, Lord? Lord, put in my life, put in my spirit a desire to reach even just one person. It doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter how young I am. I can still be a tool for you to use. I can still be used. I can still minister to somebody. Oh, I want to open these altars right now for anybody that desires that. If you desire to see this church filled up, if you desire to see your family members saved, if you desire to see the community in the city of Arnold reach, would you come? Would you spend a little time in prayer and let God do something in your life? Oh, God, we need you today. We need you today. We need you today. Come help us, God. Help us. Help us, God. Put a burden inside of us that never burns out. Put a fire inside of us that never burns out. God, to serve you and to live for you and to reach the people around us. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can. 
hands of 